The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other one of my friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Moment of Wall Street. You know what we do here? We trade stocks of individual companies, not the Federal Reserve. Easy to forget on a day like today where the Dow ultimately gained 519 points. The S&P jumped 2.24% and the Nasdaq surged 3.77%. After all that negative chatter about what the Fed's up to as we got our first rate hike in three years. The endless pessimism about first years of hikes doesn't jive with the historic optimism stock investors have. And today was no different. Looking at the action surrounding the Fed meeting, where we got a stunning drop, by the way, before it pirouetted upward, I have to tell you, sometimes the market stupidity can just be really frustrating for me, especially because there's no consistency to it. Initially, we sold off when we learned that the Fed might raise rates seven more times. Then we processed the news and everything rebounded because it's not like any of this was really surprising. It's not even bad. Inflation's a huge problem for business, and anything that can stamp it out will ultimately be a huge positive for stocks. To me, all of this Fed watching and pal interrogating may have become the ultimate parlor game, one that tricks people, tricks you, into instantly doing the wrong thing with your stocks because the Fed does the right thing with interest rates, and the market only came around, in my opinion. So let's put things in perspective. If you go to the supermarket now versus, say, last year, you know what? You know you're paying twice what you did for that flag stick. If you need some sheets of plastic for a job that covers pretty much everything you're doing at home, you may pay three times what you did seven months ago. When you want to get a washer, dryer, good luck. You have to pay the market price, whatever that that is. You want stone crab cloths. I mean, they could be 10 times what they were, as I mistakenly found out when uh, my wife and I went to a fancy place in Palm Beach, Florida. Should have just had the Baconator. Oh, and if you want to find people to work at your business, you're going to be in a bidding war no matter what industry. You know what that means? It means inflation's here to stay. We're now used to paying higher prices for everything. 
So we'll keep paying ever higher prices unless someone does something to change the situation. And that someone is the Federal Reserve. Remember, the Fed has two jobs. Promote employment. It's done that pretty great, right? And protect the purchasing power of your money. Right now, we have ridiculously low unemployment. So they're taking action to tamp down an overheated economy that you may think is their fault. But it doesn't. look, I don't even care about whose fault it is. I like today's judgment. The bad news is that the Fed may have to raise rates seven times this year, which is a lot. But there's a lot of inflation pain out there. The good news, if the pain subsides, inflation mindset stops, inflation mindset meaning I'll pay up, I'll pay up, I'll pay up. If that stops, if we stop paying up for everything, then the Fed won't need to tighten seven times. Nothing's that's in stone here. The result, once again, Fed Chief Jay Powell is making the logical good move, doing what's necessary long term for a strong economy and a strong stock market and a strong portfolio for you. I don't know if you've noticed, but your stocks have been slaughtered for months, ever since the Fed telegraphed that it had to start doing some hiking. Did it telegraph that it might move more quickly and more radically? I, I kind of think it did. Apparently, some people didn't get the message. They thought Powell wouldn't do anything harsh, which seems crazy if you listen to a single word the guy said. He said it had to, he had to get tough. I got a name for the people who didn't read Powell right. See, I call them idiots. Especially idiots, the little French. You have to be blind not to notice that inflation is rampant. Powell's not clueless to that fact either. Like, Powell's a real guy. He's not like some dummy. He gets it. I know Powell's gotten a reputation for being a big softy. After COVID hit, unemployment spiked to the stratosphere. He wanted to ensure that jobs were plentiful. Made sense. Worked. Now, if anything, there are too many jobs and not enough people to do them. He can't create more people. Prices are rising across the board. So Powell has to cool things down best he can. Now, let's get back to what this means for your stocks. We've been in a terrible bear market, with the exception of some drug stocks, the utilities, and new oils. And this has been going on since November. That's because almost every company out there has to pay too much for everything. So their gross margins, which is the holy grail of Wall Street, how much they make after the cost of goods sold, have really been hurt. Companies that had high growth but weren't making money have seen their stocks cut to pieces. If your business wasn't turning a profit and then returning some of that profit to shareholders, well, your stocks sank like a stone, and many people who had those stocks have left the building. All this is happening because Wall Street expects the Fed to do its job and break the spiral of ever higher prices, some of which indeed had something to do with the Fed creating too much money and allowing rates to stay too low. Okay, nobody's perfect. They can't wave a magic wand and make all inflation disappear, but they can cool down the economy and help us get closer to price stability. That's very important. Persistent inflation is bad for business, and for what's bad for business is only very bad for the economy and bad for you. In short, Powell did what he had to do. So why do we play this parlor game that's obsessed with every word out of the Fed? And they have that, like, you know, giant Hollywood Squares game they play with him. Jay, cut it out already. You you don't have to do that. You're taking some of these questions like, oh, Mr. Fed Chairman. What'd you say? All right, enough. You see, there are so many investors who are laser focused on whether the Fed's too late in trying to stop inflation. The curve, the curve, the curve. They're worried Powell might need to be tougher and possibly cause a recession to get the situation under control. I think it's very important if you're trading bonds, but most of you aren't. It's very important if you're borrowing money to buy stocks. That's not something you should be doing in the first place. And after today, it's even dumber than it was. But you don't need to parse every single word from the Fed if you're buying stocks of good companies that are built to last. Because these are the same companies that are suffering from the ever higher raw costs. Powell is tightening in order to help them as well as you. It amazes me that so many investors don't seem to understand the Fed is doing something that's good for stocks, not bad for them. Of course, it would be better if we didn't have an inflation problem at all and the Fed didn't need to tighten. But given that it's here, we don't want to live in a world where companies are constantly trying to raise prices in order to pass off their ever higher costs that they have. The bear market won't end until the Fed kills inflation. 
Letting it linger is not a solution. It's nuts that we got a temporary pullback today at all after the rate hike. As this was both as like it was unexpected and bad. It's neither. So what would have hurt stocks if Jay Powell lived in some sort of fantasy world where he thought things weren't more expensive? Like he never went to the supermarket, doesn't know the price of the flank steak. He's just seeing what everyone else is seeing now. He knows that he has to do something about it. Why is that bad? It's only good for the economy to have price stability and good for stocks, too. Obviously, price instability wasn't so good, and that's what we've had since November. Hence why the afternoon sell-off was so stupid. All right, so let's play some blame. Did did Powell move too slowly? Oh, give me a break. Hey, if Omicron were as dangerous as Delta, he sure wouldn't have moved too slowly. What was he supposed to know? You think the CDC knew, the NIH, the the FDA? Where are they? Anyway, but that was a public health problem. Powell wanted to make sure the economy wasn't going to have to experience another lockdown. Hey, by the way, like they're currently seeing in parts of China, something that's causing a drastic slowdown there. You didn't want that here. In retrospect, maybe we could have gotten away with raising rates sooner. But I think he did the responsible thing and waited for some clarity. In short, Powell's using what I call common sense, horse sense even. He knows rates are real low. He doesn't want your purchasing power eroded. He needs to break the mindset that it's okay for businesses to endlessly raise prices because everybody else is raising prices because it's a supply chain and it's time to raise prices because we just got a new price increase ourselves. The bottom line, where I sit, what happened today was good news. And the players of the rate hike parlor game, I got ideas for them. This candy crush, my wife plays it before she goes to sleep, seems to be very mind-numbing. Or, or maybe they could spend hours upon hours filling out their March Madness brackets, a much better use of their time. Pal simply doing what's logical, even, sadly, if he isn't going to make the Final Four. Let's go to Fred in California, please, Fred. Yeah, is this Jim? No, it's someone else. Yes, it's Jim. Booyah, Jim Boomer. Booyah. <laughs> How can I'm a little, okay. I'm exasperated with people who don't know what Jay Powell's doing. And I, I, I apologize to you, Fred. I'm not taking it out on you. I like Jay. What's up? Okay, well, you always amaze me with your knowledge you have on so many companies and industries, and I respect your opinion. Okay. My question is your opinion on Qualcomm, a San Diego company. I hear they're leading in 5G technology, which is supposed to be a big improvement in home autos and many other things. I am so glad you called, Fred. Okay, so I know the guy, the guy who runs the company, this guy, Cristiano Armand. He's from Brazil. And he's brilliant. And the stock is ridiculously cheap, and we've been buying it for the Chapel Trust. Okay, so do we buy it too early? I don't know if we bought it too early. It'll be a blip, a blip for where the stock is literally going. You are right, Fred. They've got the best technology. You can ask the Japanese. You can ask the Koreans. You can ask the Europeans. You can ask the Chinese. And most definitely, you can ask the Americans. I'm from Philadelphia. It's American. If I could say it the other way, I would. Pal did the responsible thing. He waited for some clarity. He's acting logically. I like that. He's like Spock. All right, that's all there is to it. On Man Money Today, American Express is the backbone of small business, but how is the company supporting them and a host of headwinds? Let's check in with the CEO before that gigantic analyst meeting. Then, can we really trust yesterday's rally or today's action? Uh, I, sometimes it helps to go off the charts. And then Sentinel One soared today after earnings. So could this be still one more cybersecurity stock to bank on for your portfolio? I'm talking the company's top brass. That stock's been the victim of the bear market, so why don't you stay with... Kramer! Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. All right, we've seen the airline stocks roar over the last couple of days. We've learned that there's tremendous travel demand with COVID fading away, at least in this country. But that has got some big implications. If travel comes back and the consumer stays strong, even if the Fed takes rates higher, maybe seven times, as we know now is the case, it could be huge for American Express, too. Today, the iconic payments company held a very bullish investor day event. I want you to hear all about it straight from the source and a good source indeed. Yes, earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Steve Squirry. He is the chairman and CEO of American Express right before his meeting. Take a look. Steve, this is a very big analyst day. And one of the reasons it is is because you're raising your long-term growth rate. And you're saying even in troubled times, you're going to pull it off. Yeah, so it's great to be with you, as always. Um, you know, so back in January, uh, when we had our, uh, our earnings call to report on the, on the fourth quarter, we decided to come up with a, new, with a new growth plan. And that growth plan is going to be higher than what we had pre-pandemic, which we had strong growth pre-pandemic. Yes. And so what we basically said is, from 2024 out, we will grow revenue at, uh, at 10% and we'll grow EPS in the mid-teens. Now, to get there, this year we've committed to 18 to 20% revenue growth, uh, and next year mid-teens revenue growth as we have some tailwinds uh, you know, from, from the pandemic that are still at our back. And so for us, when we have, investor, we have an investor day today, what's really important is for us to explain uh, to our investors, to the analysts that follow us, why we're confident, and I'll be doing that with a number of my management team, where we'll talk about the drivers of that growth and our confidence. We'll talk about you know, small business. We'll talk about what we're doing in the premium space and how generational relevance in that consumer space is really playing well for us. We'll talk more about our merchant coverage and how we're modifying our network and how technology and customer service is not only driving growth, but is also helping us to get operating efficiencies. Now, uh, also, uh, uh, people love dividends. You boosted the dividend to the point where I am so confident 
that I want to tell everybody, this is not a company that uh, we've seen, unfortunately, in the, some of the NASDAQ companies, where they make statements and they can't back them up. You're backing them up with real hard dollars. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're backing up with hard dollars, obviously, with our, um, you know, we also repurchase a, a lot of our stock right. as well. Uh, you know, we try, uh, and with the, you know, with the Fed's permission, obviously, uh, to return 100%. Of our cap, yeah, 2021 yeah. turned out to be a remarkable year for American Express. Yeah, 2021 uh, was a real remarkable year. And I think what was critical about 2021 was what we did in 2020. Uh, in 2020, we really invested in our, in our customers. We invested in our brand. We didn't pull all the way back. And, and that was important. And we supported uh, our customers throughout the pandemic. And we got out early in 2021 and invested. And so we ended 2021 with, you know, 30% revenue growth. We had acquisition numbers, which are at all-time highs. Uh, retention levels are really high. And we had engagement uh, you know, with our customers, especially online engagement, which was really critical for us. You're at a remarkable moment. There were a lot of people who felt the card was dead. But the two groups that didn't were the millennials and the Gen Xers. Now, actually having some at home, yeah. one of them wants it because of prestige. The other one wants it because of points. There seem to be multiple reasons why new generations embraced America. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at, and that's why I use the term generational relevance, and that generational, generational relevance is not only from a consumer perspective, but it's also small businesses. Because remember, it's, it's individuals who start small businesses. And, you know, when you look back on our history, it was the baby boomers, bitter to Gen Xers. But now what we see happening is millennial and Gen Z. And so 60% of our cards that we acquired last year were millennial and Gen Z. 75% of our platinum and gold cards were millennial and Gen Z. So let me, let me just talk a little sure. bit about, you know, you talked about people interested in it for prestige and people interested in it, uh, you know, for points. We have a very unique membership model um, in how many cards or how many products do you have? I've been a member since. Right. People proudly tell me I've been a member 1980. since 1981. I've been a member, <laughs> 1980, very good. I've been a member since, you know, 2000, whatever it might be. And it's that membership model that really makes the difference. And we have, it's made up, yes, it has points, but it's service. It's the brand. It's experiences. It's the differentiated value that we, that we put into the product. It's what our merchants and our partners offer our card members. And so, there's a wide breadth within our value proposition. Our objective is to deliver tremendous value in our products uh, to our customers. Are you getting your story out well enough? Uh, ben Stoto, who's my researcher here, he said, with your card, you can get into the new fancy restaurant ahead of everybody. I can't get in there. I didn't know you offered that service for some of these places. Yeah, so, you know, from Centurion and Platinum Fine Dining, we have that. But we also have Resi as well. And, you know, Resi was a company we acquired a few years ago. Um, you know, we're up to almost 30 million uh, Resi, Resi members, and we've uh, increased the amount of restaurants that we have on that platform. And so what we'll do for card members working with our restaurants, remember, our, our card member tends to be more premium, spends right. more, right. Better, credit, better credit profile than our competitors. And so what happens is merchants, restaurants want our customers, and so we will... Uh, have restaurants that will offer us uh, the ability to provide, uh, you know, access to their, to their restaurants because they want our card members. Technology plays a big role, but you know what else, Steve? One of the reasons why I know people like to travel with Mark Express is that someone's on the other end of the line. A person! 
you, you call you had a person. How come you decided that that shouldn't be a machine? Yeah, well, you know, service uh, has always been the hallmark of, of this company. Um, you know, and, and through the pandemic, what was really important for us as well was to make sure that, uh, you know, we served all customers from a travel perspective and from a card member perspective. Now, look, there, there are times, especially, you know, during the pandemic with, you know, with illness and, and what have you, where it was, it was a little bit harder. But we think we did a really good job of, of making sure that somebody was there to answer, to, to be on the other line, to take, care, to take care of the problem. And the reality is, is that there were so many changes and so many interrupted trips. I mean, when you think about our company, um, you know, you have a, an issue, not a card issue, not a banking issue. People will reach out to us. Absolutely. Uh, to call us for help, no matter what situation. Absolutely. I think that's what we know what to do. It's ingrained. Let's talk about travel. Uh, you are of the opinion that uh, just like going out, the travel's coming back. Now, you've been right de- dead right on, tr- on restaurants. How do you know you've been right on travel? Well, look, uh, what I would say is that from a travel perspective, you know, the data suggests that we, we will be right because, uh, you know, we're at 80 percent overall T&E in the, in the fourth quarter with consumer above 100 percent from 2019 levels, okay? When we look at our travel bookings, our travel bookings were up in December over 19, and that has sequentially grown in January and in February. Now, that's consumer travel, and we're starting to see corporate travel come back a little bit as and well. Russia, Ukraine, not involved with that. Not, not really. Uh, not really has not had an impact okay. on our business. I think the other thing that we'll see, and there's always a lot of skepticism, will business travel be back? Right. And what I have said is, look, I think that you know, I, there's nothing like sitting in front uh, and getting in front of your customer. Right. Now, do you need to get in front of your customer for that one hour meeting? Well, maybe not. But to spend time with your customer, understand what their needs are, understand what their objectives are, I think is really, really important. But the other part of business travel, uh, which I believe will emerge, is so many people are working remotely. We're hiring so many people not where the office is, but where in other places. And you're going to need to get together. And so you're going to have, I believe, a lot more internal travel where uh, colleagues and employees will come into the headquarters to meet with their team for a few days, and they may do that. A few, multiple times a year. So I think that part of business travel, it will be a new piece. I know we got to go, but to me, you're talking about a flexible workplace that I bet maintains retention better than most large companies in this country. Yeah, so we've, uh, you're here on our second day of Amex, uh, Amex Flex. And thank you for letting um, me. And, uh, you know, so we introduced Amex Flex over the summer. And basically what we said to people was, look, work with your team to pick out the work style that works for you. But when you come in, come in with purpose. And so we've had people that have selected virtual, people that have selected hybrid. Now, uh, virtual is you're going to work in your, your house, you'll work wherever you're going to work. Hybrid, you can come in two days a week, three days a week, you'll work with your team. And then we have some people that come in every day. And we have people that live across the street right. here at Battery Park, and it's a little bit more convenient for them to come in here. And we have people that can't do their jobs from home. But about 40% of our workforce is going to wind up being virtual. Prior to the pandemic, though, almost 20 percent of our workforce was virtual. So it's a move for us, but it's something that we've been comfortable with. And I think being able to provide choice to your colleagues, um, I think, is really important. And I think it will be uh, something that will attract people to to work with us. Better uh, relations with customers. Uh, better workforce that's happy, better numbers, Steve Squeery, American Express chairman and CEO, who has done a remarkable job. Thank you so much for letting me in for the investor day. Thanks, Jim. Great to be with you. Coming up.
With global stocks aplenty, Kramer tackles the technicals for what's to come. Don't make a move until you go off the charts. Next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After another terrific day for the averages, of course, after a brief dip from panicky sellers who didn't understand the Fed's move, how much trust can we place in this rally? Ever since the Fed started taking inflation seriously back in November, the averages, particularly the Nasdaq, well, they've been obliterated. And anyone who bravely tried to buy has gotten his head handed to them. The whole concept of dip buying actually ended very badly, as we now know. Remember what I keep telling you. This is a highly emotional moment. We've got a stalled Russian invasion of Ukraine. We've got rampant inflation. We've got the Federal Reserve taking action to cool down the economy today. We've got a stock market that's come down dramatically from its highs, even though a lot of people actually hasn't even done that at all. Times like this, it's very easy to let your emotions run away with your investing judgment. And that's always a bad idea. So we're doing a little flip here on bad money. We know this is a really tricky time for your portfolio. So what we're doing is taking opinions from people we trust on whether we're looking at a true bottom here or something more temporary. Opinions from technicians and market historians who can help us take emotions out of the equation with a more quantitative approach. For instance, last night we checked in with Carolyn Broden, and she predicted that we could get a nice short to medium term bounce here. Then she remains bearish on the state of the market long term. She uses something called Fibonacci analysis. So for tonight, we're consulting with Tom DeMarc and his team at DeMarc Analytics, whose work you can follow at Symbolic.com. I'm going to spell that for you. S-Y-M-B-O-L-I-K.com. These guys have a real storied history when it comes to timing the market, one that goes back decades. They've been experts at spotting tops and bottoms in stocks and now crypto. So what does DeMarc think of the stock market right now? You can understand, this guy's a legendary figure who has a ton of his own proprietary indicators, like Larry Williams, ones that I've used all my trading life, but especially in spotting moments of trend exhaustion, when, sometimes, when something moves too far, too fast in one direction, and it's primed to give you a reversal. I think he's the best 
uh, at doing this in one of the greatest uh, spotting tops and bottoms I've ever come across. What does trend exhaustion look like? Well, check out the daily chart of the NASDAQ 100. This is very much about what I talked about at the top. The tech-heavy index composed of the 100 largest non-financial stocks in the NASDAQ composite. Technically, this is the Invesco QQQ Trust, an ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100. You see these red 13s? Those are from last November. Hey, November, when Fed Chief Powell decided he was going to get tough. DeMarc has a 13-session countdown pattern that tells him when a rally or decline is likely to run out of steam. Late last year, we got two trend exhaustion 13s for the NASDAQ 100, and they marked a pair of tops, one short-term and one much more long-lasting. In retrospect, these were fantastic opportunities to get out of Dodge, the perfect chance to sell something and raise some capital. Makes sense. That was when the Fed warned you, hey, listen, you know, the easy money's done. Easy money's over. Got to get tough. And boy, is it ever going, going to do that if things don't cool down. This is when everything came public that I hated. And I told you, you got to get out. You got to just own things, companies that make things and do stuff at a profit and then return some of the profit to you. And that was the right call. Since then, this index has become ground zero for market-wide meltdown. So fast forward to today. Where are we on DeMarc's countdown? Well, right now, the NASDAQ 100 is at buy, at buy countdown 10. His methodology won't call bottom until we get to 13. That means we need three days of successively lower lows with, uh, with lower closes before the downside is truly exhausted. In other words, DeMarc's expecting one last leg lower before the weakness in tech runs out of steam. All right, well, how about the broader S&P 500? According to DeMarc, we're seeing a very similar pattern. Just like the NASDAQ 100, the S&P gave you two trend exhaustions, uh, 13s late last year. And if you sold into these peaks, well, you could have sidestepped the agony of the last few months. Also, just like the NASDAQ 100, the S&P is currently at 10 on DeMarc's buy countdown. Again, that means we need three days in a row with lower lows and also lower closes before the selling exhausts itself. From DeMarc's perspective, it's not over yet. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're still in the tunnel. Normally, when the market bottoms, you see extreme volatility and a negative news environment. We bottom when the last seller has sold, figuratively speaking. That's why I always tell you to wait for capitulation. You want total despair. What we're looking at right now could be premature buying, the kind of temporary strength that typically is associated with short covering, like I said last night. When the shorts have finished, DeMarc says that often creates a downside vacuum. A big move lower once the shorts have covered their positions and there's no more forced buying. Still, after that last lurch lower, DeMarc's feeling sanguine. We've heard a lot of comparisons about how the current geopolitical environment is like the Cuban Missile Crisis. By the way, something I still remember vividly from 1962, when the sky was dark with our bombers. I lived close to what was then the Willowgrove Naval Air Force Base, and I asked my mom and dad, what is that up there? Well, anyway, it was bad. But from the stock market's perspective, DeMarc thinks that's just plain wrong. Well, 1962 was indeed brutal for the stock market. Dow Jones Industrial Average plummeting 29% from its peak in November 61 to its lows in June of 1962. That bottom actually came months before the Cuban Missile Crisis, which happened in October. The averages bounced hard going into that October. Then they got uh, plummeted again when we were faced with nuclear annihilation. And then we get another rebound. Once again, we have a non-zero chance of nuclear war with Russia. But this time, the market was in a tailspin going into Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Still, if you want to run with the Cuban Missile Crisis parallel, even though I don't want you to, take a look at the zoomed-in chart of the NASDAQ 100 by way of the Invesco QQQ Trust. DeMarc points out 
that it's currently down 22% from its November peak. Remember, that's bear market. Now, if you go over the 1962 analogy, this ETF is at 340, and it could fall to 292 before it bottoms. If the Ukraine situation drags out, DeMar thinks that the market will end up bottoming before the conflict ends. Of course, there's another important cross-current here. I'm talking about what's happening with the second largest economy in the world, and that's China. Almost a year before our market peak, the Chinese market peak. Now, I want you to take a gander at this chart. Whoa. This is the HSCEI, the ETF that tracks the Hang Seng Index, uh, going back to January of 2021. As the sees it, China has been leading the world lower, but the selling could soon be exhausted. Remember, I turned very negative on People's Republic last year when the government practically declared war on capitalism. Although, if you believe the Wall Street Journal, the Chinese government is now backtracking because it's been such a disaster for them economically. And easing of the crackdown on big business would definitely be good news. Currently, DeMarc says the Hang Seng Index is at buy countdown 11, and it's already fallen below its upper downside price target. That means if we get two successfully lower lows with lower closes, the Hang Seng Index might finally be at a bottom. However, DeMarc's not ruling out one last extreme washout that takes it substantially lower. Now, we know we saw some incredibly positive action in China last night. The government basically forced stocks up to stem a slow-motion crash that got really out of hand. Bottom, the bottom line here, the charts as interpreted by Tom DeMarc and his team suggest that the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500 and the Hang Seng Index could be within days of making important bottoms. By the way, just you know, I keep checking in with Larry Williams, who said it was bottoming, and it, he still believes that the bottom is in. But... Uh, Tom feels we may be in some more pain before we get there. And remember, once again, I am dealing with the best of the best, people I've followed for years and years. I'm not a chartist, but I go to the best of the best. I want to go to Tony Nevada right now. Tony. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am doing well, Tony. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Hey, I'm a longtime follower, first-time caller, but I am an investment club member as well. Thank you so much for joining the club. We, you know we're doing some good stuff in that morning meeting. Absolutely. I watch you guys and, and Jeff all, all day and throughout the day. So oh, thank you so much. We're, we're throwing that. Look, I worked all that. Look, I didn't stop during vacation because this club means so much to me. How can I help you? Yeah. So my question today revolves around Boeing. I do have a position. My basis is about 177. I was just wondering if you think it's go time, hold time uh, for this beaten up company despite its 5% rise today. Do I buy more? Do I sell? Do I hold? And as always, Jim, thank you for your guys. Okay, thank you. Thank you for remembering the club. Do you know that Jeff Morks and I, we're, we're just hammering tongs today about whether to buy back the Boeing that we sold. I wouldn't do it. Jeff didn't. Whatever. I, we are on uh, tender hooks about Boeing. But I will tell you this. If you made that sale when we did and you started buying half of it tomorrow, I think you'll do just fine. And thank you for the kind comments tonight. Chartists believe the Nasdaq one. We look at this. Come on. I mean, do you think this is like we have them in bear markets around the globe? Nasdaq 100, the S&P 500, and the Hang Seng could be days of making important bottoms. But we still need one last move lower to set the stage. I'm not so sure if we need it. I think we had it. Much more man money have, including my students with Sentinel One, letter S. Could today's move higher be the beginning of more long-term gains? I'm going to check in with the CEO. Then Ukraine's President Zelensky spoke to Congress today. I'm sharing what I took away from his speech. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. How 
long do the fast-growing but unprofitable stocks have to go before they can bottom? Did something the Fed did today maybe help the case? We saw something interesting. Sentinel One, which is a new public cybersecurity outfit with a stock that's been more than cut in half from its November highs, put a strong set of results last night, paired with mixed guidance, and initially the stock plunged in after hours. But by the time the market opened this morning, the stock had made up nearly all of its losses. And then as the session went on and we got the good news from the Fed that it's going to crack down on inflation, it's smelling like crazy. And it finished the day up more than 13%. Even after today's bounce, though, uh, Sentinel One still down roughly 30% year to date. So uh, could the bounce be a simple relief rally or short covering? But it's also possible that sentiment had finally gotten too negative for the group. So could this be the real bottom? we got to check in with Tomer Weingarten. He's the co-founder, chairman, CEO of Sentinel One, letter S, to get a better read on the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Weingarten, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right, great so to to, it's great to see you, Tomer, on your uh, letter shareholders that came out uh, March 15th. I'm thinking, OK, maybe we have too many cybersecurity companies. And then you have a list of what happened between January and December and what you discovered, whether it be a crypto miner campaign stealing targeted iOS attack, um, flaws of hundreds of millions of Dell computers. This list tells me that things are far more more pervasive than we ever thought. And you don't even know what's going on, people, how bad it is behind the scenes. Tell us more about this. Yeah, I mean, look, there is a, there is a complete state of, uh, you know, I'll define this cyber chaos. I mean, there is an ongoing slot of attacks in every given moment. Um, you know, obviously, um, the crisis in Ukraine, the war between Russia and Ukraine uh, fuels that even further. Um, and, and we're just seeing a massive amount of activity right now that's targeting enterprises of all sizes and of all kinds. Um, and that's obviously, that's very alarming. And that's exactly why um, we we kind of exist in a very robust demand environment. And, um, and you know, we, we're just trying to help customers as much as we can. Now, when I read through these lists, I see companies, frankly, whose names I felt were, uh, were working with other cybersecurity companies. It's very clear that the problem is so pervasive that they got to work with a lot of the good ones. You are basically... Uh, let, let's say, um, unaffiliated partners with a lot of the other companies we have on. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, what we're seeing out there is the attempt of exploitation of, of pretty much every unprotected surface in the enterprise. So you end up seeing even even customers that bought, you know, great protection from other companies or, or even from us, they constantly uncover unknown devices in their environments. And those become the weakest link. That's what attackers compromise. And then even even more acute from that is the ability to compromise the user and the identity of the user, which is really why we also just announced the acquisition of Ativo Networks as um, our component to deal with identity-borne attacks. Okay, so this new acquisition, what it looks like to me, initially I thought it was one of those things where it's like playing uh, – uh, you know, completely the way Okta has. We've had Okta on a lot and CrowdStrike. But it looks like that there's a different uh, rationale for the deal. And I want you to explain why an acquisition that makes it sound like, oh, they want to be Okta is really not like that at all. Yeah, it's, it's not like that at all. Okta is an identity and access management platform. And what Ativo does um, is really identity security. It's the ability, um, you know, on, on one part of it to protect from credential theft and from uh, credential misuse. It has another component that allows you to really map out the entire um, identity associated risk in your environment, mapping up your entire um, Active Directory um, structure to find misconfigurations and vulnerabilities. Active Directory is becoming this underbelly of 
of the enterprise with a lot of, you know, cumbersome tools to try and manage it over the years. It became this, uh, you know, throve of intelligence for the attacker. And Ativo comes in and really tries to map it out um, for the enterprise and then mitigate that risk. And the last part in, in the platform that they've built, and it's probably one of the most comprehensive identity platforms out there, um, is really deception and misdirection that allows you to really interfere with the reconnaissance that attackers are typically um, conducting before they even uh, breach a certain enterprise. Okay, so hearing that, knowing you have artificial intelligence on your side, what would happen if you could, can you go to a company and say, listen, not only do we have a good chance of stopping things, but we can hunt, we can find that guy. We even can recover the money. Have you ever recovered any money that's been stolen? Yeah, I mean, we, we did not. And, and at some point, I mean, there is a fine line between what a private company or, or a public company can actually do um, to go after the actual uh, adversary. I mean, our, our job really stops at trying to prevent the damage and remediate the damage. Um, from that point onwards, this is, you know, law enforcement and, and not really us. We're not allowed to do anything. We can share, and obviously we share um, all indicators that we find. We've actually shared that with uh, with CISA as well, just on this previous um, onslaught of attacks against Ukraine. Um, we analyzed some of these attacks that pretty much happened in real time and, and shared all these indications with CISA. But beyond that, that's really law enforcement. And that's also you know, part of the reason why we're seeing this increased activity in the cyber realm is, is just this no governing force globally, um, no military in cyberspace, right? Um, and, and that just leads to um, the cybercrime syndicates um, kind of you know, running free. Well, I hope people look at your letter uh, because you'll, we'll know how cha- chaotic it is and why it's entirely possible that there could still be a crowd strike, still be a Palo Alto, still be a Senate one. And I must say this, unfortunately, they can make a lot of money because the enemy is very powerful. Tomer, once again, you have described the situation correctly to us. I really appreciate it. Tomer Weingarten, co-founder and CEO of Sentinel One. Hey, listen, new world if Fed gets tight. Letter S goes higher, not lower, if that happens. Thank you, sir. Great to see you. Thank you. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. It's a And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy for the lightning round. Comes to my with Ethan in Ohio. Ethan. Ethan. This is Ethan's mom. Ethan's mom. Hi, Ethan's mom. I got yeah. Alex's mom on the phone. You got Ethan's mom. What's going on? All right, this is Ethan here now. There you go. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, uh, Ethan. Ethan from uh, Loveland High School in Ohio, and we have an investment portfolio that's run by the students, and we've been thinking about investing in Crocs. And we've seen that they have a PE ratio about 6.8, showing it's undervalued. And its 52-week high has been about 183, and I like where um, some of the analysts have its price targets, and it looks undervalued about uh, 30%. Well, Ethan, what happens? They made an acquisition people didn't like. You know what? I'm going with Ethan against the Bears. Bears, zero. Ethan, one. Now let's go to Ray in Colorado. Ray. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. 
Yeah, this stock has had about a 35% run-up over the last few months, and it, but it's bounced around the last few days before 5%. So what is your out-term, long-term outlook on Nutrien? All right, the firsts, as they call them, I think have had a nice run for a while. If you still like that segment, I was just Agco or Deer, which I think is going to boil it through 400 like a, I don't know, what goes through something. All right, let's go to Kate in Georgia. Kate. Hi, Kramer. Uh, be patient with me on these next few thoughts because um, my emotions are strong. Jim, not only do I get to be part of a phenomenal investing tool, I also get to be part of a philanthropic and charitable trust investing club that will be helping the people of Ukraine. When I heard the news yesterday, I just cheered up with empathy, compassion, and gratitude. From the bottom of my heart and my family's heart, thank you. Ah, oh, you're terrific. Thank you. How can I help you? Well, what is going on with Capera and dilution of shares? I think, Kate, we're in great shape. It's got a 9% yield. It's 50% natural gas, 50% oil. That's the mix that you want. Simrex was the, net, was the oil and Cabot was the gas. And I want to thank you for those kind comments. And, yes, making distribution and definitely helping the people of Ukraine. Boy, did they ever deserve it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. A master class of inspiration from a besieged head of state. Ukraine, leadership, and the lessons of history. Next. Jim Cramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. You know, the news business is a strange one. I'm a creature of habit. For 17 years, I've come out here every night saying, hey, I'm Kramer. Same deal with Squawk on the Street. That show starts promptly at 9, and boy, do I try to be ready. Fired up. This morning, I was coming in hot with the change of management at Starbucks, the rally in China, and chatted about the Fed's impending rate hike, which, by the way, I, I thought would be good. Then I heard instead uh, uh, of our talking, instead of, instead of not talking about the market, what we were going to do was uh, we were going to take uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky's virtual speech to Congress at the top of the show. So I slumped down. I was dejected by the non-business news of the day. You know, man, look, I'm a stock guy. When Zelensky started, I kept doing my work. So I'd be ready when the speech ended. But a, a couple of minutes in, I realized, hey, look, maybe we're in the presence of some true leadership, dogged, determined leadership. This man made an impassioned case for American ideals and the need to stop Russia from killing his innocent people. People we could easily save if we weren't so worried that Putin would start shooting nuclear missiles at any Western power that tries to interfere. Don't get me wrong. That's a smart thing to worry about. He still might declare war on the U.S., for heaven's sake, for sending in drones and anti-tank weapons. Who knows about this guy? But just because we want to avoid a shooting war between two nuclear-armed countries, that doesn't mean there's nothing we can do. Zelensky wants us to impose a no-fly zone. That doesn't fly with Biden because it would entail American planes shooting down Russian ones. But what if we allowed Ukrainian pilots to fly fighter jets out of Poland? Hey, I thought that was a good compromise. If we don't do it, it's easy to see how Putin can encircle big cities like Kiev and starve inhabitants. Hey, you can't have an airlift over there either under Biden's rules. 
As I listened to his speech, I grew more and more aware of the parallels to what happened in September of 1938. There's a whole cottage industry of foreign policy writers who compare every geopolitical crisis to Munich when the leaders of France and Britain threw Czechoslovakia's democratically elected government under the bus in order to appease Hitler. Uh, he, he said he, he just wanted the German-speaking border region of Sudetenland. But then he took over the entire country. If Czech President Ever Benes had the chance to address the U.S. Congress, the French National Assembly, and the British Parliament, as Zelensky did, with all the coverage that you could ever dream, uh, it, maybe the West would have been, maybe the West wouldn't have been so timid against fighting Hitler. In retrospect, we know that appeasement is a terrible strategy when you're dealing with an unhinged dictator who wants to take territory at any cost. Obviously, modern Russia has nukes, and we want to avoid nuclear brinkmanship. But if our government only tries to de-escalate and never makes any provocations, Putin will end up blackmailing the entire world. Hmm, just like Hitler did. There's got to be a middle ground between total non-confrontation in the face of Putin's atrocities and a headlong rush toward nuclear apocalypse. When Zelensky's speech was over, I found the process of understanding the weird succession at Starbucks a little prosaic. I didn't want to talk about how the Chinese government manipulated stock market higher. I just wanted our leaders to wake up to what's happening in Ukraine, where innocent people are being slaughtered. and There's a lot we could do to stop it without triggering a nuclear war. But it's my job to talk about the business news and to get it right, even when we're living in extraordinary times. People aren't tuning in to hear my Munich, the price of peace speech. So I pivoted to the mundane, which means dealing with this wild counter trend rally and all the money we can make from it. This move could be temporary, short rebound before we get one last lurch lower, or perhaps we're done with the selling now that Powell's battling inflation head on. But if our government decided to raise the pressure on Russia, then today's rally could have staying power because strong countries beget strong markets and weak ones. We don't want that alternative in stocks, in geopolitics, or in life itself. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.